Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam, and I get to serve as one of the executive pastors here at SMCC. And then with me, as always, we got kind of the trio, the the three amigos. I don't know what we'll call it right now, but we got Pastor Eric, our lead pastor here, and Trevor, our pastor of teaching and discipleship here. And we're back for, for week two of our going through our, our John series, basically. I don't yeah. know, the extra stuff. Yeah, we're into chapter two now, picking up where we left off last week. And um, the stuff is challenging. It's challenging. It's hard mm-hmm. to see how it fits together. It's easy to get lost in the transitions. Um, you really have to know what was going on in these communities in Asia Minor that John is writing to. But once you get all of that, it is so powerful and beautiful. And so we hope to make it clear today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, just continuing with this, hopefully you listen to week one. Um, now you get to, to listen to week two of this and get some more info on it. Yeah. So let's just start with a question that we started with on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Trevor, do you go to eat or vacation at the places mm-hmm. you've always been and the places you always go to, or do you like something new? Which person are you? Yeah. Yeah. If it's uh, my choice, I lean towards something new. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate uh, the novel experience. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Why do you like that? So actually, I think certainty is at the bottom of both of them. It mm-hmm. just depends on what kind of experience do you want to be more certain about having? Ah. Do you want certainty over, I know I'm going to enjoy it, or certainty over, I want to try something new? Yep. And I think the new experiences, I prefer certainty in that direction. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. And that's the theme here in chapter two is certainty, assurance, confidence. All those things really do fit together uh, mm-hmm. in terms of trust. And really what John is getting at here is how do I know that I know? How do I know that I know? And uh, that is really, really important. He comes around to that phrase in chapter two quite often. We know that. We know that. He's getting around to that type of certainty and assurance. Uh, But real quick, last night, my wife and I went to a brand new uh, taco joint down in uh, Utah County. You guys been to the smoked taco? I have. It's barbecue. Barbecue meets Mexican. Yeah. She ordered the wrong thing, so she was disappointed, but I love what I got. Oh, no. Yeah. Stay away from the... uh, no, I probably shouldn't say it publicly, I like it. but <laughs> go with the gringo. That's the good one. That's okay. what I got. No, I think I've tried a bunch of them. I actually need to do more this summer when I make pulled pork, just do like a taco night with it. Cause yeah. that's, that's good yeah. stuff. It is combining the two. I, I'm, I like to go with the tried and true. You know, I like to go with the old standby where I know what I'm going to get. I make a lot of decisions yeah. in life. I like to just keep it, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that you say certainty is at the bottom of, of each of them. And when the stakes get higher though, um, man, the desire for certainty goes up. And oh, yeah. uh, in the biggest decisions of life, um, certainty really matters. I made the point at South Jordan that um, everybody at some point is banking on something with their life with uh, less than certainty about mm. some things. Yeah. Uh, whether you mm. call it your, you know, your mutual funds for your retirement or, yeah. mm. you know, when, you, when it comes time to propose and get married or have kids. I mean, there, is, there are some things that lack certainty. And as we said, anxiety grows mm-hmm. in those moments. And in the presence of certainty, peace and confidence can grow. And so yeah. when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to our faith, um, can we have certainty? And John would love to say, absolutely. You can. And that's what chapter two is about. And I think for those of us who have wrestled with skepticism and doubt and maybe a faith crisis or gone through deconstruction or left one religious system and tried to move into another, uh, this theme uh, just couldn't be more important. It is so crucial. So we've got to look at what John says about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
we can go in and basically uh, start the reading. But I think it's interesting if I remember correctly from week one, didn't we? Did we already cross over into chapter two, yeah. verses two, uh, verses one and two? One and two. Yeah, mm-hmm. which seems to fit. It's fun. I always wonder sometimes when I'm looking at the Bible, I'm like, how do they decide to s- separate like this? But mm-hmm. smarter people than I did. So whatever. So we're starting in verse three, essentially. Correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and read that. Uh, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Yeah, and so right there in that section, we see him talk about, here's how you know. I think he uses that word at least three times in that that section. And or five times, five times actually, we have, we know that we have come to know. Whoever says I know, uh, and then this is how we know. So four times, one of them is quoting what people are saying. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to get them to a place where they can know that they know. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and um, that's a really that's a really important uh, concept. Now, one of the things that I am trying to figure out as I read through this is what were people saying in the community? And mm-hmm. we have these quotes that are used. Whoever claims that, whoever says this, whoever is, you know, talking about this, we'll see it as it goes on with you're a liar. Whoever claims, that, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. This liar thing. You get the idea that people are pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. People are saying, I know. And someone else saying, no, I know. And you're a liar. No, you're a liar. No, you're the liar. And you just see the community just getting unhealthy. You see a lot of division here in these, in these, mm-hmm. uh, in these passages. If you just press in for a little bit, you go, wow, that community was really struggling. So glad John took the time to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The w- interesting thing too, though, and that's why context is, is helpful in dissecting this. But like, I think if you just read this passage in a vacuum or if I, if I did early in my faith, I'd just be like, I, I truly would be thinking, oh my gosh, like I do have to be perfect. Like every. Th- I have to follow every command. Like, mm-hmm. that's what this is saying. I need to live as Jesus did. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. How do you guys, like, walk through that as you're thinking through a passage like this? Like, what what do you give to somebody who's trying to be really practical with this in their life? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. First off, there's the digression later on that in verse 12 where he starts there. I think in a way he pauses basically to comfort and encourage them just in case they've drawn that conclusion themselves. Okay. And so that's a piece of it where he gets into kind of different stages of the spiritual journey, which I find to be one of the most fascinating pieces of this chapter. Um, But outside of that, I think, again, understanding what's happening in this community in Asia Minor um, is also significant because the, the background of Gnosticism or kind of early Gnosticism is significant because essentially what they're saying is, they've got an entirely different understanding of Jesus and of salvation and of how that's received. Mm. Um, and basically for them, it was achieved through secret knowledge that you had to earn your way in to be able to receive it. So if you perform well enough for the right people, you gain access to where you get the secret knowledge and then you're good with God. And when you have that, uh, so basically there, when you're in that inner circle, you're looking at other people saying, you don't have what, what we have. You don't have what you need, essentially, like mm-hmm. we're better than you. But then on the other hand, because it's a matter of secret knowledge um, and you're good at that point and the physical doesn't matter, the bodily doesn't matter, I'm kind of reading into what John is saying here in this particular critique is saying that you can look at a person's life 
And he gets into obedience here, gets into love in the next one, and basically see that if they are claiming to know Jesus, and yet if there is an absolute disregard for the commands of Mm -hmm. Jesus, an absolute and utter lack of both love and obedience, in some ways that's an indication of the quality of the ideas that that person subscribes to. Got it, got it. So maybe it's less about like, you know, this this perfect, you know, achieving an A plus, 100%, like on, on, a, on a grade in terms of how, but it's like, do I, yeah, re- respect or regard or understand what is it that Jesus is telling me how to live my life rather than mm-hmm. the, what maybe was happening is like, hey, I, I achieved higher spirituality. So it doesn't matter if I follow what Jesus said or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, John is presenting this as a little um, check engine light, so to speak. If your life doesn't look different in some way, not all in or all out or 100% perfection or whatever, mm-hmm. but is there fruit in your life because your life is now about Jesus? Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that's an important concept to look at. And yeah. so um, that's why we said that obedience is part of the essential feature that John is shaping here of mm-hmm. the Christian life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in that, in that first century, there were people whose lives looked so hedonistic. Their Gnosticism had brought them to a place of just complete hedonism, so to speak, that they, you know, claim to have the secret knowledge, did whatever they wanted with their bodies and their, in their actual behavior. And so John says, that's, that's out of bounds. That, that isn't, uh, authentic faith, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And so he's calling that out. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, let's keep moving on then and go to the next section here. Uh, verse seven, dear friends, I'm not writing to you. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Yeah, this is this is a little tricky to read out loud. Uh, I'm not writing you a new command, yet I'm writing you a new command. Uh-huh. It's like, well, what are you saying here, John? Well, yeah. this is a, there's a beautiful paradox being presented here. Mm-hmm. He's not contradicting himself. He's saying on the one hand, it is not new, it's old, and that this idea of love uh, is clearly communicated through Moses. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It was restated by Jesus as well. But what's new about it is that Jesus has now said, but I'm going to define for you what love looks like. And John was there the day that Jesus you know, took a knee, uh, got out the towel, washed his disciples' feet, and then says, as I have loved you, now you go and love. And so it's... Uh, John's drawing them back to the type of love that they've seen in him. Verse eight, yet I'm writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in him Mm. and in you, meaning this type of love that goes deep, a Jesus type of love, not just a niceness for the neighbor, but a love that goes deep, a love that's sacrificial, a love that surrenders, a love that puts others first, that was actually seen in the life of Jesus himself. That's the type of love that uh, is shining now. It's light is so bright. It is shining now. And he's, so he's, he's dealing with that and trying to walk them into that new command, implying that there were a lot of people in the community who could talk a big talk, but didn't walk the walk, so to speak, didn't love the way that Jesus loved. That was what yeah. was going on. And, and John's saying, look, I'm not coming to you with something brand new that we've never heard of before. This is old. And yet it is new in that mm-hmm. if you missed how Jesus loved, you'll, you'll miss it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so he's drawing them to that second feature, as we said, of the Christian life, which is... Love, love for another. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, let's continue on to verse nine and take on this next John gets through verse 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. 
I just think there were a lot of people, I'll use the imagery here, with blind spots in the community. Mm. So you have these people showing up for these gatherings together, mistreating their brothers and sisters. It was affecting the community. If you read this contextually in terms of community, you, you really get the sense that, okay, people were saying bad things about each other, walking around with blind spots. They couldn't even see it. Yeah. And I think John is is using these strong themes, uh, like a, an outline drawing, is is really strong in comparison, in the contrast. Mm-hmm. And I think is he's using these themes of darkness and light, love and hate, to really say, hey, in the community, this is this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's these pockets of darkness because there there are these people who are refusing to love. They have these blind spots, and so um, that was a big problem. Obviously, they were claiming kind of the opposite of the value here. We measure maturity by how well we love God and how well we love others. These people were measuring maturity by how much secret knowledge, right. Gnosticism, they were able to obtain. Yep. And so John's calling calling that out. Which hits back into that initial passage that we read in terms of obedience. It's just like the knowledge, the secret knowledge is all that matters. Mm-hmm. And then how I live, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. So he's reinforcing that idea, obedience, and what does obedience mm-hmm. look like? Love is part of yeah. um, living out what, what Jesus said. Yeah, and I think in some ways you could read the turmoil in the community into this, that not only are they kind of subscribing to this certain way of life that's out of alignment with what John and ultimately what Jesus invites us into, but they're uh, they're actually making other people feel bad about wanting to live in a way that's obedient to Jesus, about wanting to live in a way that's loving, that they're causing them to question, causing them to stumble in some ways, um, a, a life of actually kind of living in the light. And yeah. So, as he gets to the end of chapter two, it's so interesting. He uses this word counterfeit. And I think contextually, John has this idea of counterfeit Christianity in mind the whole way. And so these people were producing and teaching and leading a counterfeit Christianity, mm-hmm. which was have the knowledge, doesn't matter how you behave, have the knowledge, you don't need to love. Mm-hmm. And John's just really going to say by the end, all this is counterfeit Christianity. It's a counterfeit relationship with Christ. You are not good with him. Not because it's your behavior that gets you good with him, but because if you were good with him, your behavior would look differently. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really important we get that order right. Um, I think the order of chapter two in terms of getting into doctrine uh, in the the Uh conclusion of chapter two is important. But at this point, you know, we pause in the message and tried to make a really good um, case for this. Please pay attention. Have the discernment necessary to figure out who you're going to be listening to. Mm -hmm. Before you are influenced spiritually by someone, take a close look at their life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I gave the the illustration, the South Jordan campus of uh, Carissa and I recently uh, decided to lift weights together. I'm in my late 30s. I hear that your muscles deteriorate in your late 30s. So I was like, I got to do something about this, you know? And so um, I kind of made the joke that Chris and I started lifting weights, and I'm sure you could tell by just looking at me, you know? But <laughs> so, it, was, it was sarcasm. But no, no one can tell. Um, <clears throat> but it was like we, were, we needed to get a coach, someone who could influence us, someone who could help us. And so mm-hmm. we began to inspect, do they have the credentials? Mm-hmm. Um, do they know their way around the gym? <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Those <laughs> types of things. So they could provide help before I would submit my time and, really my life and our money to someone who was going to influence us, I wanted to make sure they had the fruit that would demonstrate the evidence, really the data Mm. that would demonstrate they are able to um, lead us in this way. And I think in really in a social media world, um, there are a lot of people following other people and they haven't been able to inspect their life up close. And the quote might look, the quote might produce warm and warm fuzzies from afar. So we share it, we repost it. Um, but I would just caution anybody to build their life on someone that they've, um, you know, really never been able to investigate up close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think what's so interesting about your comments about kind of 
this false, I think you said false, like Christianity is that as we get to the end of chapter two, we're realizing that's essentially stemming from a false understanding of who Jesus is Yeah, like that. Yeah. We get to that point at the end. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of false mis- misinformation mm-hmm. going around. Yeah. And I think, I think anybody could listen to what I just said and said, well, Eric, you follow Jesus. You've really seen his life up close and personal. And it would say, uh, we are building our understanding of Jesus from the people who saw his life up close and personal. John being one of them. Yeah. And that's why yeah. he begins his letter with, with those ideas. We've heard him. We've seen him. We've, we've looked at him. Mm-hmm. We've, we've touched him. We've walked with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen his love firsthand. We've, he washed my feet, everybody. Like mm-hmm. John was in the room yeah. the day that that happened. So Yeah, and I'll just say this quickly, but I think what can happen sometimes, even still today, is that people are looking for something new like here's the new take here's the new perspective um and it's like why don't we go back to see who were the people that were closest with jesus which we have these writings that were very 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 close to jesus life mm-hmm. what were they saying about jesus that's probably <laughs> the right understanding of mm-hmm. of jesus instead of like well what did they believe you know at this time or this time or this new religion or this new faith that came up and it's like you're totally mm-hmm. disregarding what these people who are really close to jesus said about him yeah so absolutely so here comes the hard swing in the message. Uh, well, not in the message, but in the in the chapter, I guess you could say. Which for years I was always so concerned, con- confused on why why the pivot. Uh, but Trevor, you helped me really see it that as he's been so uh, direct and challenged the false teachers so strongly. Uh, perhaps the sheep in the community, you know, so you got, mm-hmm. you got the wolves needed the challenge, mm-hmm. but now the sheep might be thinking, uh, what does this mean for me? Yeah. yeah. Am I, am I, have I somehow missed it? Am I a part of counterfeit Christianity? Mm-hmm. And he's going to remind them that they truly are in, they truly mm-hmm. do have that relationship with Jesus in, in a few specific ways. So, yeah. um, do you want to read that for us? Yeah. I'll read 12 through 14. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm so writing. I imagine they just go, oh, okay, thank you for the reminder. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. And perhaps this is, this is set apart in the text. Perhaps this was a song they would sing, you know, mm. like, uh, you like, know, for, like Father Abraham. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or like, uh, you know, what's the song that we sing at SMCC, you know, all the time about like Christ is enough. Like we sing yeah. the song oh, Christ yeah. is enough. Yeah. So let's just remind ourselves of those things we sing when we gather together, mm-hmm. your sins are forgiven on account of his name. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, who that's right. Thank you, John, for reminding me. Um, that is true. Yeah. Rather than going back to the contour of obedience, like, because you, you could have said, because your sins have been forgiven because you are obedient. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. Oh, yeah. it has mm-hmm. been on his account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Uh, Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you dear children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think for, you know, like we talked about, these are probably stages in the spiritual journey. Those who are still exploring Jesus are just getting started, taking their first steps into forgiveness. Then there are those who have been uh, young men who have been walking with Jesus maybe for a little bit of time. And there's some evidence in their life that they are building a life on truth, overcoming the lies of the evil one. And then yeah. there are the fathers, the mature, the gray hairs, you know, the people that are at the 9am service at South Jordan. That's <laughs> They like that joke, you know, but uh you know him who is from the beginning, like from the beginning of you taking your first step with Jesus, nothing has changed. It's still Jesus that you're taking your steps with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then he comes back to that word know again. How can I know that I know? And he's mm-hmm. reminding them it's the same Jesus 
from A A to Z, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Well, he, Alpha and Omega. Yeah. And he says this, he says the same thing to the fathers both times, because you know him who is from the beginning. With the other two, the, yeah. the actual thing he's saying shifts a little bit, although it's kind of in the same, it's in the same direction. But the, the exact same thing he says to them. And in some ways, I think that is an indicator of like how our relationship, as you take, you know, one next step of trust at a time, over the course of a lifetime, you go through a lot of different things, a lot of seasons of growth, a lot of uh, seasons of difficulty. Um, and I think through all of that, your relationship with Jesus grows to where it becomes the primary thing your life is organized around. And you can look back on the ways that he was w- really with you and for you through every season of life, the highs and the lows and all of it. And yeah, and I just, I feel like um, what John is writing about here is almost something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you get the sense that all this might be a rabbit trail, just real quick though, but when he's using the terminology, because you know him who is from the beginning, you I, w- I read that as a reference to Christ. And again, what this theme that John has of like, he was there from the beginning. Is that do you do you see that too? Because it kind of feels mm-hmm. like there's maybe even Trinitarian stuff coming in there. Because he's he's going back and forth between the Father, but then also you know him who was from the beginning, mm-hmm. which is also just this reference to Christ. What I see in other parts of John and the Gospel of John. So yeah. is he kind of going back and forth with these ideas? Like Trinitarian theology, I feel like is woven into different pieces. Even this, yeah. you know, the Father. Yeah, he was well, from the beginning. he starts he starts the letter with that which was from the beginning. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting, and I think John is probably doing both. Now, sometimes when preachers say two different things, they like to say, well, it's both. Mm-hmm. I actually do think it's both in this one. I think okay. you see stages in a spiritual journey, mm-hmm. which talk about, you know, there was a first step, there was a beginning. Mm-hmm. But obviously, John is also writing about Jesus being eternal and has right. already built this theme out in his gospel, and he's built it out in the letter. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think it's, it's uh, you know, Father's, has a, a length of time to it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a there's a, uh, a chronological history to the word father to John here. So I think it's a little bit of, of both. both. If you had to say which one's more important, I think he's probably reminding them of knowing Jesus who's eternal. I'd probably go with that first. Sure. But I think yeah. there's a little bit of you're still walking with the same one you began this walk with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You don't move, you don't graduate past yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just think it's good for us to remember that like these writers, even though I feel like the Trinity is a subject that, is you know kind of hard to wrap yeah. our mind around it's still something that these writers just put in there like these people understood mm-hmm. these things yeah so now i think one thing that's also interesting about this and it might be reading into it a little bit too much but how he has these three different divisions and you know we talk about discipleship a lot in the, the stages in the spiritual journey which are you know they're all theoretical it's not like they're um concrete stages that we can definitively say this is how a person grows spiritually but it is an interesting question to consider John lays out these three different categories and to ask the question, what is it that brings about growth in a person? Like what, what takes them from being um, a child or an adolescent into kind of young and middle adulthood? What takes them from there into sort of, you know, the stage of, of life spiritually where it's the gathering and sharing of wisdom? Um, what is it that produces that? And I just think that's a fascinating question to mm-hmm. consider. Yeah. What yeah. do you think it is? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, yeah. Off the cuff? that is interesting to consider. <laughs> well, I think, I think uh, you know, being equipped in head, heart, hands is, yeah. I think you could go back to that um, and talk about next steps in those. I think that's a huge aspect of it, especially going from dear children to young, to young men, kind of that middle stage of you're like growing in some biblical theological understanding, learning how to think well theologically, getting a sense for what's in the Bible from beginning to end learning how to practice uh, community, how to have good relationships where we challenge and encourage one another and are open with one another. 
uh, that being heart, you know, and then, and then hands learning how to really serve with our lives, serve with our finances, serve with our time, with our talents, uh, kind of with orienting our lives and, and head, heart and hands around Jesus. I think that is really significant when it comes from going from dear children to, to young men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I think even, even furthermore, I think that is, those are still the same things, but it's almost like in some ways you can run into a wall in terms of your spiritual journey where to go from sort of that um, adulthood stage into sort of the end of life stage isn't as simple as like, I'm going to do my devos every morning. That's a significant <laughs> thing still, I think, to have time with, with Jesus in that way. But um, yeah, in some ways, I think there's other, other factors that play into it, like a, a depth of community and relationships where we really are known, not not in like a, you know, I, I know your name and what you do for work and where you came from, but, um, you know, I know the worst parts of you and I still mm -hmm. love you and accept you. To have those mm -hmm. kinds of relationships and experiences, I think that's huge. I think suffering can play a really significant role mm -hmm. in it. Um, and I know we're even having conversations now about with our discipleship strategy and model, how can we help people continue to grow at all stages of it? And I think we've got some really good things in the work, mm -hmm. in the works um, coming up down the road. But, um, and even now, I think we've got some good structures, but yeah. I just think it's, it's a fascinating question to consider. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I had more detail around this poem or the song or like how mm -hmm. this was sung or, you know, where did it come from? You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I just, I'll, I'll ask John someday. John, yeah. can, you, can you sing that 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 song from sing chapter two? Sing that tune. Yeah, how'd, yeah. That, how'd that go? You know, how'd that go? And he's like, "You guys are idiots. It wasn't a song. It was a tweet." You know, I'm like, oh, oh no, I'm no. kidding. <laughs> but like, what? Well, what? Well, how did it work in the community? I I really wish I knew. Yeah, that'd be yeah. cool. Let's keep moving along. Do you know what's interesting is when we go through something that's a little bit more exegetical, uh, we do go through almost all of it. We did cut out verses fifteen through seventeen. Do we still want to go ahead? And oh read yeah, let's that? definitely cover that. Let's okay. read it. Got it. Uh, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Yeah, so contextually, how does he get to this? I mean, it's like, you know, a hard turn into the poem. Then he turns out of the poem, probably back into this... this um, I don't know. It's not an add on. It's not, it's not, but he's describing this, this picture of the Christian life. And, and my quick take is it was these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that was actually leading them into their Gnosticism mm. lived out in their hedonism. Sure. If you have a, a lust for the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it will cloud your judgment and it'll put you in a place where you um, fall into the things that would cause you to miss Jesus. Mm. And I think that's probably what they're, what is happening mm. here. They, they really had loved yeah. the world. Yeah. You could, you could look at these motivations, uh, really as the, these desires are the motivation for really accepting Gnosticism because it justifies them in the pursuit of these desires. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So I think, yeah, these are the catalysts. How'd they get there in the first place? And what's mm -hmm. the warning so that we don't get there? Mm -hmm. We got to, you got to challenge those, those three things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, which is really, you know, I want, I want more pleasure. I want more of what I see, mm -hmm. you know, and the pride of life really, it's all about me uh, that, mm -hmm. you know, they wanted to arrive on this higher Gnostic plane, so to speak, this new type of enlightenment, because it was all about them versus bow the knee to Jesus who is superior and gets all mm -hmm. the glory. And so I think those were, those were some of the things that would have produced um, the, the, the Gnostic uh, framework. Yeah. Makes sense. 
Uh, let's keep moving on. Um, so we're going to do... Vers- this is where it gets spicy. I mean, here we go. This I know. Is, we haven't even gotten yeah, to the hard yeah, stuff this yet. Is, this is tricky. <laughs> so here's 18 to 19. Uh, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard from uh, heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Yeah. <clears throat> Left behind. <laughs> I try to make that joke on Sunday, and I don't know if people got it, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so hey, that, for, for four years of my life, I lived in a building that was paid for by those books. Absolutely. I, yeah. <laughs> Moody. There you go. Jenkins, yeah. That's Anyways, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so to un- unpack this section, there's a few words that we have to uh, parse out and understand. Um, first, well, it's not even a word, but the prefix to a word is anti. Then you have to understand Christ and what that meant, and then you have to understand anointing as well we're going to get into that as the as the section continues um but trevor how would you frame out this this uh paragraph you know why the antichrist language and then why the belonging section Mm -hmm. what do you think Mm. yeah that's good i think in one sense he yeah he references like the the last hour sort of the the end of the age that um you know sort of the events surrounding the return of jesus um, and then he, he refers to the Antichrist, which is a figure who seems to play an important role in the events surrounding Jesus's return. But then he goes on to say there's many Antichrists. And I think actually what he's talking about with the belonging section, he's referring to these teachers who had visited, who had really infected this community with these distorted understandings of the Christian life. Uh, and then at this point, they've left. Um, and it seems like the leaving wasn't just like, hey, we're going we're gonna to go now. It seems like there was some mess surrounding the way that they left. And you need to leave with us. Come with us because this group of people, this community is missing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's probably something like that. Yeah, totally. And, and John is saying, like, they don't belong to us. And you can tell just by, uh, just by virtue of what happened to them and the way in which they left and even the impact that they've had on the community here, that none of it is positive. None of it's helpful. <laughs> Uh, none of it's healthy and it's divisive yeah divisive this is division right here yeah and i think the term antichrist uh the prefix you know it could technically be uh anti could be either against or another so against christ or another christ i think pretty clearly what he's saying here is that to be an antichrist is to be against the real actual christ the real jesus because you're actually acting in a way that is directly opposed to him Mm. yeah and i would say i i think you know they went out from us it's not like you know in our day and age, hey, someone decided to go to a different church. Like that's not the same type of <laughs> leaving. It's a, <clears throat> it's dropping a grenade, pulling people away to a false teaching. And John is saying, if they really were a part of us, it's not like there were a bunch of churches down the street either. You know what I mean? Yeah, in, these, yeah. in these communities, um, it's he's saying if they if they had bought into the community, if they were committed to love, they would have stayed. Because they left, it's an indicator that they weren't committed to love. They weren't really a part of us. And it's okay. Watch them go. You can stay and still have certainty. Because you get the mm-hmm. sense that they're going, well, I didn't go with them. They claim to be the superior teachers. So now I, they're causing yeah. me to doubt my confidence and certainty in the community. Yeah. If I don't have what they have, am I in trouble? Yeah. Like, am I, yeah. is, are things going to work out for me? Yeah. And, yeah. and John's reminding them, no, please stay. Mm-hmm. They left because they weren't a part of mm-hmm. real Christianity. It was mm-hmm. counterfeit Christianity. And they're trying to pull you away with them don't go. Yeah. yeah. Now I feel like in this next section, he unpacks what it means further to be an antichrist, um, which I had some, some really interesting lobby conversations surrounding that. Me so. too. <laughs> well, well, hey, let's deal with this one first though. Is it still the last hour? Is it still the last hour? Oh, and, we could talk forever. About and, that. and this is my way. So when we hear last hour, we think of, 
uh, time frames. Oh, 2023, 2024. You know, we think mm-hmm. John seems to be describing uh, characteristics of last hours, mm-hmm. which are the characteristics of the last hour is people opposing Jesus. In which sense, it's been the last hour. It's been the end times ever since yeah. the first century. Yeah. yeah. What's also fascinating is, you know, going back to, what was it, verse, uh, where was it? Um, yeah, verse 8. It's truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He mm-hmm. uses that language over and over again. Yep. That we have the opportunity at this point in time, in this, the last hour, to either walk in darkness or walk in light. And uh, even even like the resurrection accounts, you know, that it happened at sunrise. I don't want to read too much into mm-hmm. that, but the description is almost like this last hour is, is that moment of, of dawn when it's not, the sun hasn't fully risen yet, but you can tell that the light is is coming up. And uh, there's, it's caught, it's kind of caught in between. In The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, he actually talks about, he uses this same metaphor, the same imagery, Mm. but there's these other teachers who basically start to say, no, you're wrong. The sun's not coming up. The sun is setting. It's not dawn. It's twilight, which I think is kind of interesting, but... um, Favorite part of my day, just FYI, is I looked out to the east out our big backdoor window and I can see the sun coming up over the mountains. Yeah. So that's why that just kind of gave me chills a little bit. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what that is. It's dark, 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 dark. And you just start to see it get lighter yeah, and lighter. You, you can see the light coming over the mountain and it, mm-hmm. it hasn't risen fully yet into the sky. And that, I think that really will, will be like the return of Jesus. That's when the sun is shining high mm-hmm. and bright and the darkness is gone. But mm-hmm. Love it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into 20, the yep. next section. Yeah. So here's a, here's a chunk. Uh, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Yeah, let's just pause right there. <clears throat> so here's here's how you can know. And he's trying to just remind them, you do know. Mm-hmm. I've been around you. I've been around your faith. It's not counterfeit. It's the real deal, gentlemen. It's the real deal. And I just think he's coming back to here's how you can know. Here's how you can know. Here's how you can know. And here, of course, it's building your life on the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus taught. Um, but here we see anointing, Holy One. Um, Trevor, take us through the word Christ, how it means anointed, how he's kind of working through those themes mm-hmm. of Antichrist, um, but then anointing. Take yeah. us through the kind of the word study of Christ. Yeah, and I think he unpacks it a little bit further on. Um, but here he, he really lays out, he lays out the two things that give them certainty here. And then he revisits and unpacks them a little bit further after taking kind of a dive into like, what does it mean to be an antichrist? But he talks about an anointing from the Holy One, who is Jesus. And so Jesus, the Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. Right. And we draw that understanding from the Old Testament. Messiah uh, would be the Hebrew word for the anointed one. Yep, exactly. Christ yep. being the Greek word. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So not Jesus's last name. It's Jesus's yep. title. Yep. Yeah. I had to, I made that point in South Jordan. Someone had to tell me that once. So I was like, I'm just going to tell you at once, just in case you don't know. It's not Mr. Christ. It's a, it's a title. He is Mr. the Christ, Christ, which we see the yeah. Christ used later on. But what was an anointing in the Old Testament? It was a covering. You see David anointed. Yeah. You see the psalmist talk about anointed. It was a covering. It, or even like a pouring of oil on yeah. someone. Yeah. As, a, as a symbol, a physical mm-hmm. symbol of their mm-hmm. set-apartness for a specific purpose. They were yeah. anointed, thus demonstrating symbolically uh, that they were capable of fulfilling a very specific role. Yeah. So the Messiah was someone they would long for who was capable of fulfilling a very specific role. The Christ was the one people were longing for and waiting for who was capable of fulfilling a very specific role. So anointing 
is connected to that. So I want us to be able to take that picture of anointing, which we don't do a lot of anointing in 21st century church, you know. Um, we don't really cover people with things all that often. But throughout the Old Testament, it was, a, it was a symbolic demonstration of being set apart for a specific purpose. Of course, the Messiah or the Christ was the one who could rescue the world, mm-hmm. set apart to bring the kingdom of God, to usher in that kingdom, to save people from their sins. And so that is what Jesus was anointed for. He's the Christ and that he is the one capable of fulfilling that role specifically. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And he anoints us. <clears throat> so we're anointed by the anointed one. I use that line. And uh, I think when you read the rest of the chapter, I think it unpacks it pretty clearly that the anointing is a reference to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Right. It's and not in the sense like, you know, there's an anointing for you. You've got the spiritual superpower. You can do anything. Uh, it's not that kind of thing. I think he, he unpacks it really in connection with truth. And then if you <clears throat> read it in light of the letter, I almost think you could also draw an understanding that the Holy Spirit uh, is is the one who really presents kind of a consistent and ongoing, almost catalyst for our spiritual growth right. in love and obedience across a lifetime. Um, and there's certainty that comes from that as well. So yeah, I think ultimately... He's pointing to these two things, that you know the truth, you know the gospel, and you've received an anointing from the anointed one. You've been set aside uh, for a specific purpose, and with that comes certainty that Mm -hmm. uh, you are good with God. I appreciate it like this. They've got you covered. Mm -hmm. So to use the anointing language of a covering, Mm -hmm. uh, my covering that produces my confidence is not based in my behavior, but it's based on who Mm -hmm. Jesus is and what the Holy Spirit will do. So the anointed one has me covered uh, through uh, the substitutionary atonement on the cross and what he's done. He's paid for my sin. The Holy Spirit has me covered in that he dwells in each Jesus follower, guiding them into the truth. Wow. So on the days when I lose assurance, on the days where my confidence in Christ wanes, on the days that certainty has slipped through my grasp once again, and I have those days, Mm -hmm. I go back to the fact that it is covered by God. When I say they, I'm not talking about a pluralistic. I'm just saying these persons of the Trinity are playing their specific role mm-hmm. in covering for me. And I'm good with God. And that covering is a, they've got it covered. I think it's pretty casual language, but it is oh so deep into this chapter. It's, it mm-hmm. gets into the anointing. It gets into the Christ. Mm-hmm. They've got me covered. And I think that language allows me to rest again in certainty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In certainty, not in in uncertainty. (laughs) In certainty. Yes, there you go. (laughs) Uh, So let me keep reading this uh, from verse 22, I believe is where I stopped. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Yeah, I think this is really important. I think, uh, obviously, if you undermine Jesus, you... uh, are undermining the father. I think Mm -hmm. Jesus made it really clear. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think you have this community of saying, Hey, we're good with God, but Jesus isn't that important. He's just saying, look, you can't separate the two. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus is fully God. And I think that's why he, he brings father and son in multiple times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah, that, Trinitarian piece of it. And then in verse 22, who is the liar? You get the sense that the community was trying to figure out who's lying to us. Uh Is John Uh lying? Is it the community? Is it the Gnostics? They're all pointing the finger. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're the liar. And John boils it down. And this is why doctrine is crucial to the Christian life. Who is the Mm -hmm. liar? The one who denies the identity of Jesus as the Christ. Mm -hmm. Not a Christ, not as just a spiritual being, but the 
And the anointed one, the set apart one, the only one who could accomplish mm-hmm. salvation. Yeah. And so I, I ended up having an interesting conversation in the lobby about this afterwards. And I think in a couple of different directions, there were a few conversations and I know Adam I had, had some similar ones where, um, on the one hand, uh, sort of a point we drew out of this is that if you miss the truth about Jesus, you miss everything. Yep. Um, and I think some people, I remember talking with a couple of people in the lobby who were feeling like, okay, I'm, I've been on a spiritual journey. I grew up within a particular religion that had a different understanding of Jesus that I was raised in that I spent, you know, almost 30 years in. And now on the other side of that, I, I've left that and I'm trying to draw an accurate understanding of who Jesus is, but I'm, I'm don't feel like I'm quite there yet. I'm trying to wrap my head around things and it's just, it's a process. And, uh, and they're, they're basically, I think, I think it actually caused some uncertainty where they were like, if I don't fully grasp who he is, then does that mean I don't have the certainty that John is offering in this passage? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an interesting question because on the one hand, I think, you know, you could look at verses 12 to 14 and see that John's talking about a spiritual journey, that there is uh, a, ro- a place for patience and a place for uh, kind of processing and unpacking things, sort of taking off old ideas and uh, and really drawing on and, and placing trust in, in an accurate understanding of who Jesus is. And that all takes time. And so I think there's a sense in which the patience can be there and there can be a sense of certainty even in the midst of that as you're working that out and taking one next step of trust at a time. And, and at the same time, you can't underscore the importance of, of an accurate understanding of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So. It's kind of almost tension in the conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here in this next section in verses 24 and 25, he, he just goes to the language of John 15, remain, 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 and uh, trust the promise. What's the promise? Eternal life. I mean, he really makes it very, very simple. So to mm-hmm. anybody who would say, my salvation rests completely in the hands of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's got me covered. To say that, you would need to understand that he is the Christ. So I'm not asking for anybody at SMCC to be able to wax eloquently about anointing or anointed one Mm -hmm. and Christ and Messiah Mm -hmm. and Hebrew and Christ. It's do you trust that it is all based on Jesus? Mm -hmm. Is your confidence based on his performance, not yours? Yes, then you can have certainty. That's kind of what I wanted. Yeah, and I think that's great. where John kind of gets to in this section. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to be like a theological scholar to right. have certainty. Right, right, right. It's and, just a matter of, of this thing about and, Jesus. And when someone hears us talk in these ways, they're like, gosh, do I have to be able to describe it like that? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Yeah. John is going hard after people who are self-proclaimed teachers. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you're going to teach and lead others, yeah. the the standard maybe goes up, I think, to be able to, yeah. to parse these ideas out. But at a very simple level, it just comes back to certainty and confidence, which uh, at the end of the day, I, I have I had this illustration. I didn't use it at South Jordan. I ran out of time, but Carissa and I have been going to the rock gym. We're doing some climbing and I've been looking at people who are belaying other people. And so you got these people on the top of these precipice and the person down below is holding this rope and you just watch them completely rest into the covering of the person down below. Oh yeah, yeah. That is incredible confidence, but it's not doing a lot. You just release from the wall. Yeah, and fall into the strength of another. Oof. And I think that's all John wants these people to do. <laughs> yeah. That's all he wants. Yeah. So let's go from 26 to the end and we'll be done. Okay. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now do your children continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident, unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. 
And there's that word confident right there. You just really see that John was bringing them to here all along uh, through this section of the, the letter. He's bringing them to that confidence. No one can teach you. I don't think that means, you know, turn off all sermons and, hey, you know, get rid of this podcast as well. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think what it means is uh, you don't need... Um, you don't need to be listening to another to arrive at that salvation. It's all through Jesus. That's my simple way yep. of someone teaching. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is in you, guiding you into truth. Mm-hmm. These people can be influential, but it's not that they are the crucial teacher that will save you. And mm-hmm. I think they were saying, you have to listen to my teaching to be saved. Right. And we're mm-hmm. not saying that at SMCC. Yeah, we're totally. saying you need Jesus to be saved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. So I think it wasn't a teaching of, hey, am I getting instruction? It was the teacher is crucial to the salvation. Right, right. And that is not true. Great. Well, we are at the end, out of time for today. Thank you guys so much for being here today. We'll be back next week with chapter three and appreciate you guys being here and we'll see you again next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.